You are listening to the Pro Ecclesia podcast from the Truett Church Network. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Welcome today, friends, to the Pro Ecclesia podcast hosted by the Truett Church Network. Pro Ecclesia podcast strives to be a podcast for uh, leaders in congregational ministry, studying, um, visiting with authors of key books, visiting with leaders in pastoral ministry on uh, leading edge ideas and, and theories and practices of ministry. And we're glad that you are with us today. Our guest today is Dr. Todd Ferguson, Assistant Professor of Sociology at the University of Mary Hardin Baylor, uh, to visit about his new book, um, along with his co-author, uh, entitled Stuck. And I will let him tell you a little bit more about it. But Todd, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thank you so much, Matt. Appreciate it. We've just spent a day at Truett's visiting with local pastors, visiting with students, and having great conversation uh, around this book and the studies that Todd has been uh, conducting and his findings. Todd, tell us just a little bit about the book and how you came to this research project. Yeah. Um, so the book's called Stuck, Why Clergy Are Alienated from Their Calling, Their Congregation, and Their Career. Um, and my co-author is Josh Packard. He's with Springtide Institute. Um, and we were actually doing another study on the Duns, um, people who, they say they're Christians. They say when we, when we as sociologists ask, hey, what's your religious tradition? They say, oh, I'm a Christian. Um, but then we ask the next question, where do you go to church? And they say, oh, I'm done with that. So we were, we were interviewing 100 people who were done. So they still were active followers of Christ, but they were no longer part of the church. In fact, they were consciously rejecting church. But we had pastors come to us and ask us, can we be a part of the study? We're done. We feel like, you know, we're leading the church, but we don't want to be a part of the church anymore. Um, and so we didn't know what to do with that. Um, they really didn't fit with our first study. We were looking at just people in the pews, the laity. Um, but so many pastors came up to us, we decided to have our, our, our own study. So we called it the Stuck Pastor Project. And we um, sent out national requests, both in America, or sorry, United States and in Canada. So it's North American. Um, and we collected 42 interviews of pastors who didn't want to be pastors anymore. So, man, we've talked about this so much. It's hard to back up. I want to move to the end of the story right. and, and start applying some of this that we've talked about today. It's been a great day of conversation. Um, all right. So centering on pastors who were currently serving in church, but felt like they, they, were, they wanted out, but couldn't get out, essentially that. Um, so tell us some about what you found in studying, interviewing these 42. What were they experiencing? What were some of the, the takeaways you, you learned from this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so half of the pastors we studied had already left the ministry. Okay. And half were still in. And that was actually a good comparison. Um, what we found, one of the big findings is that um, as they are leading worship, as they are being a spiritual leader for people, they felt disconnected or what we call alienated from their own faith. They felt like they were producing something. And so 
um, whether it was a really high quality experience on Sunday mornings, whether it was to have, quote unquote, the perfect faith and to never doubt, they felt like they were having to fake something. And um, that was really alienating for a lot of these pastors. And so they, they talked to us about, I get, up, uh, I get up on Sunday mornings, I'm behind the pulpit and I'm fake, or I'm getting up and I'm producing something, or I'm, they use the, the manufacturing language mm. a lot. Like I'm manufacturing an experience for other people to consume but it's not an authentic experience for me. And I mean, just personally, that was really hard to hear yeah. in these interviews. Um, and some of these interviews, the pastors, they were crying mm. um, as they're talking to us because they had never been able to express this. And it's probably um, important to note here some of your background. So right, right. you come at this both as a sociologist and a minister, having mm -hmm. served, having gotten your, your MDiv mm -hmm. and uh, having served in a congregation mm -hmm. for some time. So you come at this kind of from both angles with a real heart for pastors, knowing their experience, but also uh, as a sociology. Professor. Absolutely. So, you know, all research is biography in some yeah. way. <laughs> uh, I don't consider myself a stuck pastor. I loved my time in the ministry, but um, I also understood the dynamics. Yeah. And so my background was with pastors. And so that's what I wanted to study. That's what I do research yeah. on. So understood where they're coming from. Yeah. And I think that's really important to the story. When I picked up the book, I mean, I fully expected this to be another book about burnout, you know, that, uh, and perhaps it is somewhat about that. But y'all's findings were quite different, where the presenting symptom of I, I want out or I've gotten out is very similar to burnout. Some of the, the other feelings or thoughts brought up were different right so other books have um been about burnout the psychology yeah. of that and that is real and that is valid and we need those books um there are other books about being in the pulpit and not believing anymore or losing faith um and we we just didn't find that mm. we found that these pastors were so passionate about christ they were excited about their calling. They still felt called. They hadn't lost faith. But instead, as sociologists, we looked at the structure, the culture surrounding these pastors. And one of the premises of the book is that pastors are passionate in their calling to follow and lead others to Jesus. But the congregation, the structure, the organization might actually get in the way of that. Mm -hmm. And we didn't come to that statement lightly yeah that was actually really hard for us to discern that the church not a not the church universal not the spiritual church but yeah the local brick and mortar church it might be getting in the way of pastors calling which that was one of those statements where i didn't end the book there by any but i had to put it down and just sit with that for right. a while i did too um, as yeah. i'm writing it i yeah i had to sit in front of my word document as i'm writing it <laughs> yeah and I really thought, like, God, what did I just write? Like, can I, I really say this? Like, yeah. can I, I, I don't know, like, as a Christian, as, yeah. a, as a minister, I don't know how to, I, I don't know how I, what I think about this, but that's what we were finding. And again, a couple points to bring out at this point. The book is not saying this is the normative experience of pastors. Right. This was sort of a, a marginal, self-selected 
group of pastors experiencing this. So what we're not saying is every church exists in this way, and this is your, you know, your doom if anyone's in congregational right. minister. But even for those that are on the healthier uh, you know, part of the spectrum of pastoring, um, and you can talk some about this, there is something for each of us to consider about there are parts of our jobs in church that do work against doing what we are called to do. Right. And how do we negotiate that? How do we put in practices in place to prevent from being coming stuck? But, right. Yeah. Absolutely. And this is not a, another doom and gloom book about the profession of the pastorate is a horrible profession. Not at all. In fact, most pastors are really satisfied. Um, when you ask them, they're very satisfied with their ministry. They love their calling. Um, doesn't mean they might not love their individual congregation that they're in and not looking <laughs> to move, but as a profession, they're very satisfied. We were looking at the fringes, the edges of people who are dissatisfied so that we could all learn something. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just good practice, right? I mean, for the culture in which we live to look, look to the edges of culture and see what they reflect about, quote unquote, you know, the middle, I guess. Right, right. And, and that's just healthy, I think. Right. Look at who's waving red flags. Yeah. Why are there the red flags? Yeah. Right. Okay. So excited about a call to ministry, mm -hmm. loving Jesus. Mm -hmm. Most of these, I think with maybe one or two exceptions, weren't walking away from faith, if right. I remember it right. right. And yet half of them in the church, half not. So what were some of the forces you identified at work that was creating this system? Mm -hmm. Right. So as sociologists, we, that's what we do, right? We look at these large social forces that are beyond our control. And so we found social forces, like the three social forces that are in play, what we call social Darwinism, this idea of the survival of the fittest. And we're not talking about individuals here. We're talking about organizations. So if a church, a congregation, um, doesn't recruit enough members and resources over time, it will close. And so churches are always in competition with each other. Whether or not we like to talk about it that way, they are. Yeah. Um, and so if a church doesn't compete effectively on the mark in the marketplace, it'll shut down. Might take a generation, but it will shut down. The second one is capitalism, this idea that um, our culture measures success by growth in numbers and profit. Um, doesn't mean that churches are for-profit institutions, but absolutely we measure church success by measures of growth. Yeah. And one way we know this is churches model themselves on businesses, but businesses don't model themselves on churches. Mm. So that just says that capitalism is the main driver, not Christianity. Yeah. And so um, from a sociolo sociological perspective, correct. Yeah. whatever's being modeled is the standard. Is right? the yeah. standard, right? The yeah. most legit. Yeah. Right. And so we have these two um, forces and honestly, capitalism, social Darwinism, nothing new. Yeah. Um, we've always had churches compete. Um, ask the Congregationalists from the 1700s <laughs> when the Baptists and yeah. Methodists were exploded. Yeah. Churches have always had to compete or they'll shut down. What is new is secularism, this third gigantic social force. Secularism just means that there are fewer religious people, fewer Christians, fewer people who attend on Sunday morning, and that general, generationally, there are fewer people in each generation that are religious. Yeah. Another aspect of secularization is 
churches have less power in society. Mm. They're not the centers of community anymore. There's a lot more competition with churches, including brunch and youth sports on yeah. Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, and so they don't have the cultural sway as they used to. So those three combined, capitalism, social Darwinism, secularism, mean that the rules for pastors have changed. And so the rules now are, you know, grow your church or it's going to die, compete with others, provide something in, in, that is going to draw people. The met, uh, but fewer people are out there to recruit. But then your measure of success is still growth. Mm, so yeah. fewer people to recruit, but we're going to judge you based off if you're growing. Yeah. And that just creates a really difficult environment. Some pastors are doing great. Their churches are thriving. They're bustling with energy. Other churches are dwindling, especially in the mainline Protestant traditions. And the pastors are still being asked to play by the old rules and expect your church to grow, um, expect people to continue to come in. But in this environment, that's not the case. Yeah, I would be, man, I, this is where I wish this could be a live conversation with right, audience, right. you know, particularly as this one is spread out, not just in Waco, Waco being, as we like to say, and I think you said earlier, the buckle of the Bible belt, we don't feel the second, and just maybe in Texas in general, don't feel the effects of secularization quite like other places of the country. So I, I'm just fascinated to think about the differing reactions to that of some in a county seat church is still doing pretty well going ah, I don't know and then uh because they're still being invited to city council meetings to pray and school board and things like that where you are at the center and then others vigorously nodding their head um and we've I know just in placement we see churches seem to be moving particularly churches that are under 500 you're either moving down to 100 or toward 500. No, very, very few are staying somewhere between there. Right. And so the bigger getting bigger and the smaller getting smaller, Absolutely. which speak to a lot of these forces um, that, that you've spoken about. Yeah, the, the secularization frame is just a, a tough nut to crack from a, a leader perspective and even harder to help our churches understand that and recalibrate expectations because we don't even know what to calibrate to most of the time, you know, mm. other than, you know, Jesus and knowing Jesus, which is a pretty good calibration, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. And we, but we still judge pastors yeah. as if secularization didn't occur. Yeah. yeah. And so in the book, for instance, there's a pastor we call Glenn. It's a pseudonym. Um, he was at a Presbyterian church. And when we talked with him, he was angry. Mm. He kept saying, I'm working harder and harder and harder with fewer and fewer results. And he had been in the ministry. He was near retirement. And he said, I just always assumed that this model, the old model was going to be around. I always assumed mm. I was going to have an associate pastor and a choir yeah. director and a full Sunday school. And I don't have that anymore. And people, the quote unquote old timers, yeah. come up to him and he said, they're mad at me because we're not full anymore. And for him, there was so much grief and nostalgia. Mm. Yeah. You know, there was so much grief in that church that he was still playing by the old rules. Yeah. And it wasn't working anymore. Yeah. And he, he just felt so stuck. Yeah. Yeah. And as you mentioned, these are these are massive cultural forces that 
I guess we could deny it if we want to, but you can't change it. You can't improve the, these right. are forces that exist and are operative in culture. Right. And so we have to deal with it one way or the other. Right. Yeah. Right. And we can't judge pastors by yeah. success or failure based on yeah. because they can't control it. Yeah. You know, so if a church just doesn't have any more members, yeah. it might not be the pastor's fault. It yeah. might be that a community can't support a giant church anymore. Yeah. And when we've talked about this some in kind of where do we go from here, which we're not going to get into a lot of that in this conversation, but dying a good death may be victory for a church, uh, for some churches. Right. And growing at a fast pace might be death for another church. And in any number of ways, we see a lot of the scandals happening around the evangelical world, for mm -hmm. sure, are often in those places that have pushed growth so hard. It just stretches you thin as a minister where you you lose uh, much of the thickness of your spiritual life, mm -hmm. um, to put it that way. And that's what yeah. we saw with yeah. so pastors in the large evangelical churches. They either grew so fast or they were already large and they were trying to manage this organization and they weren't able to be spiritual leaders anymore. Yeah. You know, one described it as being a franchise leader mm. or managing a franchise. And he goes, I'm not a pastor anymore. I'm a business manager. And he hated that. Yeah. You know, he did not have an MBA for a reason. He wanted to be a pastor. <laughs> yeah. And so he's he he was tired of having to manage the bureaucracy yeah. of an organization when he wanted to be the spiritual leader. Mm. I'm reminded in that story of uh, Eugene Peterson's story in The Pastor, his um, memoir, spiritual biography. I don't know how exactly you classify pastor. Now that there's an actual biography of Peterson, which is wonderful, um, written by um, when, oh gosh, I can't remember his first name, but where he's frustrated with a growing church and all of the bureaucracy, to use a sociological phrase, coming with it. And he meets with the elders and voices that. I think he's going to resign. And they basically, well, why? He said, well, I'm tired of running this damn church. Mm -hmm. um, something to that effect, right? right? And they basically said, well, no one's asking you to do that. You know, you kind of took that on yourself. Now, there are churches that ask people to do that. Right. Um, and, and But it became a break, a break point for him of health mm -hmm. where he was able to confess that and lift that up and seek a new way. Right. Um, not every church allows that. Not everybody has the health and strength to do that well. Um, but that's, uh, I, I thought of that in that story of what a wonderful thing that would be to be for churches to have that, right. pastors to have that outlet and imagine a new way of doing things. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's easier said than done. Yeah. There's an, an, a pastor in our group that we talked with and I mean, he was successful yeah. by any measure. And he was so successful that another church that had regional satellite campuses yeah. hired him. Mm. And they said, you're awesome. You're going to be the, the, every campus's youth pastor or youth preacher. Oh, wow. And so every Monday he would go to a recording studio, <laughs> record his youth sermon, and then they would farm it out to um, all the campuses wow. digitally on Wednesday night. Yeah. And he was like, it was, I had the most quote unquote success in ministry because I was reaching yeah. thousands of teenagers every week, but I was the most miserable mm -hmm. because I was locked in a booth. Yeah. And I would occasionally visit one of the satellite campuses yeah. and the kids all knew me. Yeah. Because they see me on screen every Sunday or every Wednesday. I didn't know them. I didn't have a pastoral relationship with them. 
I literally was a performer. Yeah. And he he, he had he quit. He was wow. one of ours that yeah. ran away mm. at the at the height of his quote unquote yeah. success. Yeah. So we see that occasionally, but I do think the old approach for ministers, kind of flipping this from the church mm-hmm. to the minister of a set career ladder, you know, which I mean it was a, it's always a stereotype, but it did kind of exist. 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, probably into the night. It still does to some degree, but seminary, post-seminary, smaller church. In your 30s, you take the medium-sized church. Your 40s, you take the bigger church, and you kind of work your way up to happiness. <laughs> I mean, to some right, like right. the goal is to get to the big place, right? Um, where you've got the staff and you've got some things, and you just sort of make do with these others. Uh, we have definitely seen that go away. We're just in my observation, you see more folks uh, of Truett grads, at least, staying in the smaller places longer, mm-hmm. more of those folks choosing, not, not because of lack of options, because right now, I mean, there's so many churches available and so many churches need pastors. There's almost always options for somebody if you're not picky um, or you're not, or you will just go anywhere. But knowing more about who they are, we visited with one this morning. It's been mm-hmm. his church 11 years and he, he, he may move from that place, but he also knows he fits it pretty well. And um, finding the place where you fit, understanding your skill set um, and, and, and what is not your skill set. And mm-hmm. you can promote uh, to unhappiness and ineffectiveness right. really easily, right. quote unquote, promote. I was in quotes of uh, get to a bigger place or whatever and actually be much less effective Right, because it's not your skill. What is it, the yeah. Peter principle? Yeah, you get promoted so that your level of incompetence. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and, but boy, it requires formation. It requires self awareness. It mm-hmm. requires a lot of development skills to know um, and no no amount of dying to ego, which is right. maybe the most difficult part of that. At least speaking for myself. The well, any final thoughts on this? I mean, I for those tuning in. Um, I just can't encourage you enough to buy this book and read it. You may be flying high and things going well right now, and you're as happy as you could be. There will be something challenging for you in this or for your staff or for other pastors, you know, and certainly for those that feel stuck. This is a hopeful read. It's not a a doom and gloom read. It's something we, I hope we use here at the seminary and will continue to. So I really encourage you to, to, buy this book and we're just going through a couple chapters of it so as not to give away the farm here um but but it is so encouraging any kind of final thoughts or encouragements yeah i would say if you are listening to this and you feel stuck one thing we found was the pastors who were successful in being happy with the transition they continue to use their pastoral identity and their pastoral skills and the goal of all of these pastors that had moved out of the ministry, they still really wanted connection and community. And so they found ways to build those two things, connection and community, wherever they landed. So, I mean, it's so stereotypical, but one created a coffee shop Mm -hmm. and used um, a portion of the profits to go into a specific ministry Mm -hmm. he and his wife wanted. And the goal was to create community. Another was a parole officer. His calling was to help hurting teenagers. Mm-hmm. And he he couldn't do that in a 
upper middle class white suburban church that the teenagers didn't want his help. Yeah. <laughs> and he realized after he left that he could find connection by being a parole officer and going to the hurting teenagers yeah. themselves. Another just ended up managing storage facilities. And it sounds almost mundane. Yeah. But for him, he could have honest, authentic conversations, build connections, have spiritual conversations with the people he regularly saw coming in using that storage facility. So I want to encourage, like, if, if you feel stuck, lean into that pastoral heart that you have, search for ways to have those spiritual connections, be a spiritual leader, maintaining this idea of connection and calling and community, and understand that there are people out there who have been in your situation. And reach out to friends. I Absolutely. Mean, like we, I, this is one of my tropes, but we all need more friends in ministry and in life, but you just can't have enough. And uh, that's you know true. It is here for that purpose. And, and others, I've thought a lot today, Todd, about Andrew Root's work on uh, formation in a secular age and ministry in a church in a secular age. I've not worked my all the way through those, but a, a few of them. And one of the things that stuck out to me in that, and just as a parent and pastor, is he said a lot of us are caught in the trap of just hoping our kids will go to the church, go to church and attend, and we've forgotten to pray for them to meet God in a transformational way. You know, I do think sometimes pastors get in the trap of serving without seeking that transformational meeting with God, right? Mm -hmm. That that you can't manufacture it and it, it's got to be gift, but we can pray for it and seek it and put our soul in a position, you know, to, to receive that when it's come, when it's done. And that's one of my prayers for pastors today as we're visiting is that, man, you're caught, whatever your job title may be, it just matters so little to me, um, whether you're managing a, you know, storage facility or parole officer or senior pastor, or youth pastor, that we would all be renewed in our calling by transformational encounters that God, that leave us changed, mm -hmm. um, that leave our hearts pliable and warm and not cynical and cold. Yeah. Um, and that maybe, just maybe unstick us from a place of, of being, I don't know, now I'm playing with your wording and metaphor problematically, but, uh, <laughs> but that is my, as well, I thought a lot today as I thought about the students and others of uh, ultimately that's what, for congregations, right? For lay persons as well to, be transformationally encounter Jesus in such a way that um, helps them count differently and think differently mm -hmm. and love their pastors differently um, and how that might truly, you know, be its own cultural force in time, but anyway. Yeah. And the, and the book is written for community in mind. Yeah. And so every chapter has discussion questions for pastors and for churches so that um, if you feel like you're stuck, um, get a group of friends, walk through the book, ask the, each other these questions um, to help get that conversation started. All right. Well, Todd, thank you for your time. Thank you for your, your ministry, for your witness and your work in this research. Uh, and I, I uh, can't encourage those listening enough to go check it out and read it uh, in more depth. But folks, have a great day. Bye-bye.